The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. I uh, went to sit down a minute ago, and my oldest boy Hudson's sitting over there, and he just had bags under his eyes and looked like he's about to fall asleep. I said, what are you so tired for? He looked at me and said, Dad, I was up till 1 o'clock last night. He spent the night with his cousins, and I guess they made it all the way past New Year's. I did not. And I don't think many of you did, but I know some of you probably did. So I will try to be short this morning, but I want to bring a word of God before us uh, on this New Year's Day. A special service as we celebrate the paying off of the mortgage. It is a time every year to look back in reflection and in gratitude, um, really an examination of things that have passed uh, with the intent of looking forward in anticipation of things that are yet to come. Uh, Believe it or not, it is hard to believe this is the fifth time uh, that I have stood before you on the first Sunday of New Year, of a new year, uh, as your pastor. Uh, Pastor James, that seems hard to believe. Uh, Five years. Uh, It's fourth year anniversary, but that's five times now that I've stood before you on New Year's Day, uh, bringing a New Year's Day message, or at least the first Sunday of the, the new year. And I am not, I'm not old yet. But I am getting older, and I am coming to see. Um, There's a repetition to this thing, is there not? Some of you have been alive walking this earth a lot longer than I have, and you've seen a a higher number of New Year's days come and go. And every year there seems to be that same same thing that happens in the news and in the the media outlets, the the, the television even uh, shows the the series, the the, the recap of the year, uh, a weird a weird focus on celebrities that have passed. I don't understand the obsession there, but you always see a focus on celebrities, famous people who passed away in 2022, and you see all the commercials and all the people speaking, talking on New Year's resolutions, weight loss, and, you know, changing this, changing that in in your life. And I I have come to find in the repetition of it, the the words of Ecclesiastes are so true. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, all things are full of labor. Man cannot explain it or express it. The eye is not satisfied in seeing. Eye isn't satisfied in seeing. The ear isn't satisfied in hearing. That which has been is what will be, and that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? We're paying off a mortgage. Yeah, a lot of churches have done that before. Nothing new. It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of the things that are yet to come by those who will come after. Uh, He concludes, vanity, vanity, all is... Vanity, empty in the sense of brief, fleeting, passing. I think this New Year's cycle that humanity is caught in in our day and age is, is so clearly a revelation of the, the never-satisfied longings of the human heart. The never-satisfied desires of humanity that is always, always seeking and yet never finding. Always longing for something better, for something greater, for something with more meaning, with more purpose, and seeking it in all sorts of different things, all sorts of things you can make a resolution about, and yet never finding it, never attaining it. 
never coming to a place of contentment. What I want to do this morning is to encourage you to seek the one and only thing in this life that truly can satisfy the heart, that truly can satisfy the, the human soul, to seek Him who satisfies, to seek Christ above all else, to set Jesus as King upon the throne of your heart and as Lord over all your life, to set Jesus as King on the throne of your heart, the only place in which true meaning and purpose and contentment and satisfaction and life can be found in the person and in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in knowing Him and in serving Him and in glorifying Him and in being satisfied in, in Him. And in living this year even, with He being the, the subject of your worship and being the Lord over your living, the Lord over your life. And I find no better text for us to look to then Matthew chapter 2 for us to consider this morning. To look to the example of the wise men and their seeking Jesus set in a, a striking contrast against the king of the Jews seeking to murder him. And so, so the wise men, Gentiles from a far land, longing and seeking Jesus, the king of the Jews, and yet, the king of the Jews, Herod, we see, seeks to kill, to murder him who is the true, eternal king of the Jews. Matthew chapter 2, as we continue walking this morning through the Gospel of Matthew, we in the weeks ahead are going to continue working through the, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we read Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen the star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he was, had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, and it stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures... They presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed for Egypt. 
It was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled the prophecy spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, he took the young child and his mother, and he came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And he, being warned by God in a dream, turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and he dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. I want us to look to these two examples and learn from these two examples morning. The example of Herod and the example of the wise men. First in Herod, of course, we see the example of what we ought not to be, an example of seeking self, of seeking self-glory, of seeking selfish desires. Herod was the king of Judea, appointed about 34 years uh, B.C., B.C. 34, and, and reigned until about uh, 84, about four years after we'd marked the zero mark. Jesus is born sometime in between the zero and, and four, uh, 4 AD mark. He was not fully an ethnic Jew. His father was actually an Edomite. His mother was Jewish. And so as you know, if you know your Bibles and the Old Testament law, the kings of Judah uh, must come from the tribe of Judah. Uh, they must be uh, ethnic Jews. And so Herod was appointed under Roman um, persuasion under Roman authority even. The Roman Empire had uh, great control over this area of Judea. He, he was appointed as king, ruler over this area. He was never fully received by the Israelites, never looked to by the Jews as their king, though he greatly desired to be so. He was a man that we see it even says in verse 3, when, it, when he found this prophecy of, of old that these wise men had come with, speaking of this king who was born of the Jews, it says when King Herod heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. He, he was a man who was a troubled man. Uh, he was a man that history would tell us was always so paranoid about others trying to take his throne, his kingship away from him, so much so that his sister actually convinced him that his wife was trying to poison him and he put his wife to death. He killed his wife and then three of his children, three of his own sons, he put them to death because he thought that they were conniving to, to a plot to take his, his throne away from him. A man that killed three of his sons at different times, two together and one separately, and then a man that killed his own wife. It's very believable even as we get to Herod and his, his, his command that he's going to uh, have all the, the newborn children to and under killed. It's right in the, the line of this man's uh, way of reign, way of ruling. 
He was a man that was greatly troubled. It's said that Augustus, who was the emperor, reported of him, it's better to be Herod's, uh, Herod's pig than to be his son. Uh, Herod, practicing as a Jew, would not eat pork, and yet he killed three of his own son and sons, and so it was a joke that supposedly Augustus made about Herod after he killed one of his sons. Better to be one of his pigs, one of his livestock. The way this man was so paranoid about everyone trying to kill him and take his kingdom away. We wonder why, maybe you have wondered why, none of the people that knew this prophecy about Bethlehem being the place where the Messiah would be born, why didn't any of them travel from Jerusalem to Bethlehem? Why did they stay in Jerusalem even though the wise men came and brought this message of Jesus having been born? I think the main reason is they were afraid of Herod, this maniac king who they knew they would be killed if they went to go seek this king out and worship this Messiah, this Jesus. And so none went but, but, the, but the wise men. Herod was a troubled man. He was a deceitful man in verse 7 and 8. He called the wise men over to the side, it says, in secret. It emphasizes that. It's amazing how much sin is done in secret. As if you think nobody sees it, therefore it's not a big deal. He did it in secret. He, he told the wise men, you know, I'm, I want to worship this king. Come back and report to me when you find him. The blatant lie, seeking to manipulate, seeking ultimately to kill, to destroy Jesus. He was a cruel man, a, a man that you could say is a brutal, a vicious man, barbaric, savage, wicked, inhumane. There were so many synonyms that I thought, which one fits this description best? A man that would, would issue a command for all two-year-olds and under in the area of Bethlehem and the surrounding area to be put to death, to be killed, to be murdered. Think about that for a moment. There's something just inhumane to the, the, the utmost extent when you think of the taking of the life of a child, especially a toddler or, or a, a newborn baby in that age group. Such innocence there, and yet he, out of a, 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 a guarding of his own kingdom, the thought that there would be a king born in Jerusalem who, or in Bethlehem who would become king of the Jews, threaten his domain, he issues this command and has all of these children killed. Herod was a man who had most all that this world could offer. You realize that, right? He was rich. He rebuilt the temple. He had great funding even. He had great power, had most all this world could offer, yet he never found contentment in life. He never found satisfaction in all of this stuff. All of this stuff actually made him more paranoid. It made him more, more filled with anxiety and fear of what others were doing and what others were thinking. He had no peace, never at peace, never contentment. Contrast that now with the wise men. And the example of their seeking Jesus. Uh, who were the wise men? They weren't there at the very birth of Jesus. They come, the star could have appeared before the birth of Jesus. Who knows? We don't know the exact time frame. But, but ultimately, they, they reached the place of, of Bethlehem at, at a later time. Jesus could be up to two years of age because we know by the telling of the story, the wise men said that star appeared um, two years ago on their, their journey. Who were they? They were magi, which
which were the experts in astrology and, and the interpretation of dreams, really just the interpretation of things. I like to think of them sort of as the, the intellectual philosophers of the day that even the kings would consult to explain why things are the way that they are, why things are happening the way that they were happening. We know there were at least two of them because it's plural. Now, traditionally, we hold the three because of the three gifts, but it doesn't say there were three. We do not know how many there were. There could have only been two, and there might have been far more than two. Uh, we do not know, and if anybody says they do know, they don't. They're just speculating. It's more than two. That's the only thing that we can say. Where is he? They were from the east, which means the direction of the rising sun is literally what it means in Greek. Most believe that's a term that refers to Babylon, uh, that likely these were magi, wise men, from the area of Babylon. How did they know of this star? How did they know of this king who would be born, uh, the king of the Jews, that, that would be so mighty in power that they should travel such a great distance to come worship him? How did they know this? Many speculate, again, it's just speculation, uh, that this was an extra-biblical prophecy, something not recorded in our Bible, that Daniel gave back way, way back when, when the some 400-plus years prior to the birth of Jesus, when the Israelites were captive in Babylon. You remember the story of Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den? Remember Daniel and the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream? None of the magi, none of the wise men were able to give an interpretation of the dream. And it was Daniel who could give the interpretation. He saved the lives even of these wise men. And so I believe that's likely where they came to know of this great king who would be born someday. A star would appear that they were to follow to lead them to the birthplace of this great king. Now that is not biblical, that is speculative, but it's very likely, it's very possible. That's a great explanation for how wise men in Babylon would know of a star to, to pursue, to come to worship this king of the Jews who was born. To think of the characteristics of these wise men real quick. They're, they're an example to us of devotion. You realize this was not a 15-minute drive uptown that they took to go see if baby Jesus was in, in Bethlehem. This was a great journey. They traveled at least six months, possibly even up to that two-year mark as we look at the time frame given here of the, the star appearing two years. Maybe they didn't set out on the journey right away, but it was at least a six-month journey from the area of Mesopotamia into the area of Palestine. And so for at least six months, they, they pursued a, a prophecy from God about a great king who would be born. Think of the difficulty of travel in the day and age. Think of the danger of, of, of travel in the day and age. They, they, they sacrificed much. They spent much time, much devotion in this calling. Even as Abraham went out not knowing where he was going by faith, we could say of these wise men, they by faith were pursuing this. They by faith sought the newborn king of the Jews. It's an example of great sacrifice. The trip was costly. Even if there were just three of them, two or three, but most likely they traveled with their servants and with their livestock, and there was a, a, a greater group that was making their way there into Jerusalem, even as Herod greets them. It was costly. Think of the gifts that they brought. Look there again. In verse 11, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and what did they do? They down and they worshipped him. 
And what was a, a sign of their worship, a means of their worship? And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold and frankincense and myrrh. The, the giving of offerings as a means of ascribing worship, uh, authority, dignity to Christ as king. It's a means of worship. You knew if we're celebrating paying off the building, I was going to preach on money eventually, right? I got there. Your giving is a, a, a means of, of your worshiping of God to say, I'm not as Herod trying to get and gain all of this stuff, but I, I gladly and freely lay it down before Jesus and ascribe to Him the worth that, Jesus, you're worth more than this. That I only have cause of you because of your, your, your graciousness in my life. And so I, I gladly, cheerfully give back to you to glorify you, to worship you. They're an example of worship, an example of sacrifice. They're an example of obedience. Verse 12, God instructed them, go a different way when you leave. And they could have thought, no, Herod told me to come back to him. Herod's a man of great power. We're going to go back to Herod and obey the command of Herod. They did not. They obeyed the word of God when God told them, leave a different way. Don't go back to Herod. Go back to your country and not the same way that you came. It's a, uh, an example to us of obedience even in their pursuit of Christ. So the ultimate question that we're driven to as we consider these examples a question for you this morning, an examination of your life, a question for us all, even as we look to the new year that is ahead of us, is Jesus the recipient of your worship or rival to your throne? That's a great question, isn't it? What, what better defines your life? Is it the example of the wise men pursuing Jesus to worship Him in their giving of even their offerings and their obedience to the Lord and their devotion to that calling? Or does the life of Herod define you better? One who is troubled and manipulative and sinning in secret and doing all that he can do to just get a little bit more. And he does not want Jesus to be a rival to his life, to his dominion, to his is Jesus the recipient of your worship or the rival to your throne? Put your thinking cap on and put your ears on and listen as we close. I want you to see in just a couple of minutes what Matthew is doing in the Scripture. That Matthew is revealing to us, even in his telling of this story, that Jesus truly is the King of the Jews who is worthy of our worship. He is the King, notice, that is rejected by His own, but sought by those who are from afar. Herod and Jerusalem not recognizing His birth, and yet Gentiles from afar traveling a great distance to bow down and, and worship the Christ. Notice He is the greater Israel. The greater Israel. Why did they go to Egypt? Why did Matthew quote the verse from Hosea, out of Egypt I have called my son? What is Matthew doing here in saying this is a prophecy that was given of, of Israel, really just a word spoken over Israel. Out of Egypt I've called my son, and they were in bondage in Egypt, and God freed them. And yet he says of Jesus, out of Egypt I have called my son. He's, he's presenting to us what will unfold in the rest of his gospel narrative, that, that Jesus is the true and better Israel. 
that Jesus is the true Son of God who lives in faithful obedience to the will of God and who truly fulfills all the covenantal promises of God. Matthew is telling to us that Jesus is the greater Moses. He's the greater Moses. As Moses was delivered from the Pharaoh's command, the Pharaoh's edict, that all, remember all the newborn children of the Hebrews were to be put to death? They were to be killed? And Moses was was set in that basket and and sent down the stream and he was delivered from the, the slaughter of those children? And Jesus, too, delivered. It's a parallel. Delivered from Herod's command, Herod's edict. There's a, a parallel we're meant to see here that will unfold again in this Gospel that, that Jesus is the greater Moses, the true law of God, lawgiver of God incarnate. We see at the end in verse 23, Jesus is the greater David. It's a weird what Matthew does if you, you study that out at all. At the end, where he speaks of Jesus being a, uh, going to Nazareth and being called a Nazarene as it, the, the prophets had prophesied. There, there is no direct prophecy that speaks of Jesus growing up in the city of Nazareth. I believe what Matthew is doing here, the, the word Nazareth comes from the root word, which, which is identical even in its, the, the sound of the word in that day and age, the word branch, the word root. That, that David is making the parallel here that that Jesus truly is the branch of David, the, the seed of, of David, the king of the Jews who will rule and reign eternally. I think he's referencing Isaiah chapter 11 and 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch that shall grow out of his roots. Jesus is that promised seed of David. He's the king of the Jews who will rule and reign eternally. As his life begins with this proclamation. They came and bowed down and worshipped the King of the Jews. Notice also it ends with this proclamation. The Gospel of Matthew concludes, Matthew 27 and verse 37, as Jesus is hanging upon a cross and He's bearing the penalty of your sins and, and my sins, they did what? They nailed up above his head a sign. And it says they wrote above it the accusation, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is worthy this morning of your worship and of my worship. Jesus is worthy of your devotion. He's worthy of your sacrifice. He's worthy of your obedience. And so as you set out on this new year, if you haven't been living a life of worship to Him, I pray even now as we come to a time of examination, uh, of an invitation, that you would get that settled before the Lord. You would confess where confession is needed and repent where repentance is needed and and just pray, God, help me to keep you as the, the, the King upon the throne of my heart. Help me to live my life as you being Lord over it in obedience to what you would have of me because He is the King of the Jews and He is worthy of your worship. Heavenly Father, we come to You and I pray through Your Spirit You would work this morning in our hearts uh, to bring Your Word or just to fruition upon our hearts in a way where we would leave here changed by it. Uh, we would be doers of Your Word and not hearers only as we have 
seen in Herod, an example that sadly often defines us but ought not to. And we've seen in the wise men what we should be. Just sacrificing, being devoted to you, falling, bowing down and worshiping you. Lord, may that be true of our life each and every day. So Lord, work, I pray, in our hearts. Sanctify your people. And be, I pray, if any are here that don't know you, I pray, even now they would come to see Jesus as worthy of their worship. They would repent and believe upon Him as Lord and Savior. I pray this in His precious, holy name.